The passage that we just heard about from Meredith is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who, just, who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. The parable is about prayer, or at least that's what Luke says. There's this judge, Jesus tells us, who doesn't fear God and, doesn't, and couldn't care less about people. But it's his job to keep the peace in the community and adjudicate disputes. But then comes this widow. Jewish listeners immediately sense the problem. Because according to the Hebrew scripture, judges in Israel had a special obligation to protect widows and orphans and foreigners. This widow has a dispute she wants the judge to settle, but he refuses, so she asks again. Then he ignores her, so she nags, badgers, pesters, emails, texts, leaves voicemails, and rings the doorbell incessantly. She's nothing if not persistent. Finally, the judge relents. Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, he says, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. If you read the Greek of this passage, what the judge actually says is, so she may not wear me out with continued blows under my eye. It's a boxing term. The judge couldn't care less about, just, about justice. He just doesn't want to walk around town with a black eye and have to explain how he got it. He grants the widow's petition so he can literally save face. Now, will not God grant justice to those who cry to God day and night? Philosophically, this is what's called an argument from lesser to greater. If a wicked judge will give in and hear a widow's case, how much more will God hear us? 
The point seems to be that God is always ready and willing to hear and answer us when we pray. But if you read the parable that way, isn't it a little strange to say that God answers prayer only when we're so irritating that God wants us to just shut up? That apparently it doesn't matter what we pray as long as we pray aggressively or annoyingly or meticulously. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for prayer, even if those prayers are not answered in ways that we choose. Let me give you an example. I have good parents who love me and did their absolute best to raise me and to give me everything I needed. Like all kids, I wanted a BMX bike ramp in the backyard. I wanted strawberry milkshakes for breakfast, and I wanted to never have to eat salad or Brussels sprouts or broccoli. I wanted to not share a bathroom with my brothers and sister, and I wanted my very own car in the driveway on my 16th birthday. Each of those requests were received and then, of course, denied. In retrospect, I see that I didn't always get what I wanted, but I did always get what I needed. So maybe the parable isn't only about prayer. Maybe it's also a parable about, as Meredith suggested, justice. Maybe God is not the judge who gets worn down by our persistent request. Maybe God is the widow who will not stop banging on our door until justice is done. Alan Culpepper, in his commentary on this passage, suggests that the call to pray day and night is about letting the priorities of God's compassion reorder the priorities of our lives. Letting the priorities of God's compassion reorder the priorities of our lives. In 1994, the East African nation of Rwanda was torn apart by civil war and then genocide. For 100 days, the powerful Hutu majority undertook a systematic slaughter of the Tutsi minority. One writer called the massacre the fastest and most efficient killing spree of the 20th century. In 100 days, the Hutus killed 800,000 Tutsis, an average of 8,000 souls every single day. You may have seen the movie Hotel Rwanda, the critically acclaimed film that tells the true story of, the, of that genocide through the eyes of Paul Rusabajanya, a hotel manager in the capital city of Kingale. Paul was a Hutu married to a Tutsi woman. He makes a promise to protect her and her family, but as things get worse, he eventually gets to the point where he decides he needs to save as many lives as he can. But initially, Paul says that there's just nothing he can do. But the truth keeps beating on his door. He begins to see the horror of what's going on until his conscience wins out and he opens his luxury hotel to shelter Tootsies in danger. In the end, Paul shields and saves the lives of over 1,200 people. There is one especially telling moment in the film 
About midway through the story, Western reporters began to capture scenes of the genocide on videotape. Paul's encouraged. He assumes that the broadcast of those images will prompt immediate action from the rest of the world. But the skeptical reporter says he doesn't think anything will change. And Paul is dumbfounded. How can they see that and not intervene, he asks. But the reporter has seen it all before. And he replies, more likely people will see the footage, say, isn't that horrible, and then go right back to their dinners. Why do I tell you that story? Reformed theology, John Calvin in particular, has always emphasized that we cannot separate who God is and what God does from who we are and what we are called to do. God's sovereignty over all of life does not allow us to disconnect between our public lives and our private lives. And I wonder if maybe God isn't banging on our doors right now. Several months ago, during a meeting with our elders and deacons, Meredith shared some data that she had gathered as part of her doctorate of ministry work. Data about the neighborhoods we as a congregation come from and the neighborhoods surrounding us here in this building. In relative terms, First Presbyterian is an affluent church that draws people from all over Knox and surrounding counties and even beyond. But what she learned from this data is that we know very little about the several blocks right around us here. Yes, we are a downtown church with a lot of businesses and even a school and municipal buildings. But that area also includes lofts and apartments and public housing. Compared to other places in East Tennessee, Knox County is fairly well off, but even here, One out of every five children is living below the poverty line, and that's only getting worse. Some of those children are right here in this neighborhood. Maybe that's the knock on our door. Maybe God is the persistent, determined one who keeps pounding on us, challenging us to work for the good of our neighbors in need. What is it that Alan Culpepper said? the priority of God's compassion, reorder the priorities of our lives. Pope Francis puts it this way, we cannot become starched Christians who speak of theology calmly over tea. We have to become courageous Christians who seek out those who need our help the most. Years ago, Mother Teresa went to visit Edward Bennett Williams. Williams was a legendary criminal attorney. At one time, he owned the Washington, D.C. NFL team and the Baltimore Orioles. He was the lawyer of Frank Sinatra and Richard Nixon and a whole bunch of other people. He was very wealthy and very powerful. Edward Bennett Williams was also in charge of a small charitable foundation, Mother Teresa was visiting him because she was raising money for an AIDS hospice, and she hoped Williams and his foundation would help. Before she showed up for the appointment, Williams said to his law partner, Paul Dietrich, you know, Paul, AIDS is not my favorite disease. 
I really don't want to make a contribution, but for Pete's sake, this is Mother Teresa. I've got this saint coming to see me, and I don't know what to do. Dietrich and Williams agreed that they would be polite, that they would hear her out, but in the end, they would say no. Well, Mother Teresa arrived. She was a little sparrow sitting on the other side of this huge mahogany desk. She made her pitch for the hospice, and William said, we're touched by your appeal, but I'm afraid we just can't help. Mother Teresa said, let us pray. Williams looked at Dietrich. They bowed their heads. And after the prayer, Mother Teresa made the same pitch, word for word, for the hospice. Again, Williams politely said no. Mother Teresa said, let us pray. She bowed her head while Williams and Dietrich shot frantic glances at each other. And after the prayer, Mother Teresa started on the same pitch again, word for word. All right, Williams said, all right, let me get my checkbook. (laughs) Because this widow keeps bothering me, I grant her justice so that she may not wear me out. God, that persistent widow, refuses to give up on us. She keeps pestering and nagging and badgering and banging on the door to get our attention until we do the right thing. God doesn't give up on the world, and God won't give up on us. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Amen. Let us turn to God in prayer. O holy God, you share with us the treasure of your heart in Jesus Christ. And so, God, engrave your covenant ever deeper on our hearts, your hopes, your dreams, your vision, your peace, your justice, that our hearts might beat as one with yours. Holy God, ever clear, you keep us from wandering down the wrong paths. You make us persistent in bringing justice to the lost and to the least. You show us how not to misplace our hearts. Holy wisdom, as you breathe the word into our hearts, empower us in faithfulness so we might use the tools of justice and hope so we are equipped to share the good news with all, so we become skilled in compassion and grace. Oh God, enable us to seek that justice as that widow sought it from the judge. When we feel like the world and those around us are only pushing back, let us be ever persistent. Oh God, you are our great comforter. We lift up to you those who have departed this life and made their home completely with you in death. Comfort those who grieve and must face life now without their loved ones. We pray for the families of Betty Frierson and Anton Zimmerman, and we give thanks that you have embraced them completely. Surround their families, surround Heidi and Greg and Eleanor, and all those that love them and comfort them. Lord, there are many in our lives that are suffering from illness, from depression, from isolation, 
from things we don't even know of. And so, God, in these few moments, we offer our prayers to you in silence, knowing that you hear the depths of our hearts. And we pray that prayer that your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue to worship God through our tithes and offerings. <laughs> 